Creatures to the heavens. Good morning. We invite those that are able to please stand as we sing and worship together on this Reformation Sunday, the mighty fortress that is our God.
seated. As mentioned, that was uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, the, the hymn of Martin Luther to celebrate the event over 500 years ago, the nailing of the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg Church door, thus beginning a process where the church was called back to refocus on the sovereignty of God and the, the grace of God in saving us, that we are not saved by anything that we have done or could do, but by God's grace alone, and He alone is glorified in that. Uh, that is the theme of our worship this Sunday and every Sunday, that God alone saves, and He does so by grace, not as a reward, not by merit. So to Him alone be the glory. Uh, a few announcements before we continue in our worship. One is that we are uh, scheduling our next Discover TCPC class. That's uh, a, an interest class for anyone wanting to become a member. It's required. Uh, for anyone just wanting to learn more about the church, you're welcome to join us. For anyone already in the church who would like to make some new friends or just be reminded of some of the reasons that, that we exist and what we value, you're welcome to join us. That's going to be the third weekend in November. So you can talk to me or you can talk to Randy for details. Randy's out of town this weekend, though, so you, if you want to talk to Randy, you got to wait. Um, a few other announcements. Um, the Gertrude Walden House Thanksgiving Feast that we partner with every year. Uh, we're collecting donations again for that, specifically donations of stuffing and chicken broth, preferably still in the boxes. Uh, and those can be collected on the table in the lobby. If you have questions, Sharon Fagley can help you with that. Um, one of the many good ministries in the area that we are happy to, uh, to partner with. Uh, we have one more announcement. Yes, let me, um, Ted, do you have the microphone there for Nancy? I'm sorry, I forgot she needed that. <laughs> good morning, church family. Good morning. Good morning. This uh, is the weather forecast for our anniversary <laughs> that's coming up. This, Saturday, this coming Saturday, isn't that awesome? Yeah, so 77 uh, degrees is the high. There's lots of shade. We checked it out. There's lots of shade. So I hope you're coming. If you're new to the church, just sign up. This is our last week. This is the last uh, day to sign up. So we would love for you to come and get to know people. It's going to be a, a nice time. We're going to have lunch at noon. You need to come between 11 and 3 to Flagler Park. Bring your chair and your favorite drink. We're going to have water and lasagna and some things for lunch. And then um, lunch is going to be served at noon. If anyone has a basketball or a cornhole game, if you let me know, I'd love to borrow it. And um, I think that's it. So I hope you come. This is awesome. Thank you, Nancy, and to all those who have been working so hard to prepare this event. For those that have missed the announcements over the past two months, uh, we are about to celebrate the 25th anniversary of our church, and that will be this weekend. Not just on Saturday, that's one of the big events, but we are also celebrating that on Sunday as we worship together. Uh, Chris Hodge, the founding pastor, along with his wife Karen, they will be joining us in worship, and Chris will be bringing the Word of God to us that morning. And in between services at 10 o'clock, we're going to have a, a celebration, kind of fellowship gathering, social uh, in the lobby. There'll be pictures, there'll be uh, written histories and other things to help us appreciate. Uh, not that this church is anything special in itself, but just for us to celebrate what God has done and is doing through His church, because it is not to us be the glory. It is to God alone be the glory. That is why we are gathered to worship. 
God calls us to worship Him. And so from His Word, we hear and respond to that call. I invite all those that are able to please stand as one of our elders leads us in our call to worship. Good morning. From Psalm 135, hear these words. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. Let's pray. Father, we're here this morning because you've called us to worship you. Father, our desire is to praise you, to lift your name on high. The triune God, we are here because we love you. Increase our faith. Help us to love you more. May the words of our songs, may the prayers from our heart um, be encouraging to each other corporately, but also praise the name of God as we corporately lift you up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to the heavens Your faithfulness stretches to the sky Your righteousness is like the mighty mountain Your justice flows
by his blood my life is hid with christ on high with christ my savior and my god with christ my savior and my god please be seated Please join me as we pray the confession of sin. Um, it's on the screens and it's also in your worship guide. Together. O oh God, whose chosen dwelling is the heart that longs for your presence and humbly seeks your love, we come to you to acknowledge and confess that we have sinned in thought and word and deed. We have not loved you with all our heart, all, with all our mind and strength. We have not even loved our neighbor as ourselves. Deepen within us our sorrow for the wrong we have done and for the good we have left undone. You, O oh Lord, are gracious and full of compassion. 
slow to anger, and minding instead. <clears throat> Restore to us the joy of your salvation, bind up that which is broken, and give light to our minds, strength to our wills, and rest to our souls. Speak to us the word that we need, and let your word abide with us until it has worked in us your holy will. Amen. Let's pause for a moment of silent and private confession. Now hear these words of promise and encouragement from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to us himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Christian, let us corporately confess our beliefs using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you, Ted. At this time, as the ushers come forward to assist us in our worship through giving, we turn our hearts together, united in prayer, to the giver of all that we have. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we are thankful to you for your provision to us, for your goodness to us, and for your assurance to make all things as you desire them to be, that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to that day, and until we reach that day, would you grant us uh, the patience to endure until your coming, and the wisdom to navigate a world that is unfaithful, and the resources we need to do your will. Uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, for those among us in our, in our very community who are suffering even today, those who are dealing with sickness, those dealing with pain, those experiencing loss. We pray for those who are experiencing broken homes, those in, uh, in broken relationships with their neighbors or their family. In all these things we experience in our bodies and in our families and in our lives the brokenness of the world as it is presented to us and we cherish the promise of the world as you will remake it to be. As we look forward to that day, would you provide healing 
for us today? Would you heal the bodies that are broken and sick and thus show your power over all things? Would you grant endurance to those who suffer until your perfect will is done? Would you move those who are in broken relationships to reconcile in grace? Would you move those who are witness to suffering and violence and oppression and pain to be peacemakers, to be defenders, to be ministers of your gospel and agents of change? And Heavenly Father, we pray for every church in our community that proclaims your word. Everywhere that your gospel is taught, that your way is followed, that your word is honored, and that your name is lifted up, we pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the community to be blessed, to be strengthened, and to see in their ministries a harvest of righteousness, lost men and women turning from their empty, broken cisterns and finding in you the well of living water. We pray for the ministries we partner with. We pray, especially this month, for New Geneva Seminary, and for Dominic Aquila and his partnership with us. And we pray as he teaches and leads and gives instruction and direction. And we pray especially for the men and women who are learning and growing and training and being equipped to preach your gospel in North Africa and in situations that few of us could ever imagine. We pray that you would strengthen and prepare these ministers of your gospel and these leaders in your kingdom. Give them the material resources they need, but also be with their spirits to be strengthened and protected and prepared to be your representatives. And I pray that we who, uh, who serve in different ways here would be faithful in our giving and faithful in our prayer and faithful in our encouragement, knowing that our brothers and sisters throughout the world suffer in your name. Would you make us faithful in all we do? We lift these needs and these requests up to you as children to a father, ready and eager to hear, and always willing to answer. We pray these things according to the will of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And now as we sing and as we give, we confess, as Psalm 24 does, that the earth and its riches belong to the Lord. The earth and its riches abundantly stored the world and its dwellers belong to the Lord, for He on the seas its foundation has laid, and firm on the waters its pillars has laid. Oh, who shall the mount of the Lord God ascend, and who in the place of to please stand as we sing the Gloria Patri, giving glory to God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
for all that he has given us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, amen. Take my life and let it be taking your seats, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. As we've been going through Matthew's Gospel for some time, we are nearing the end of the teachings of Jesus. We have this week, and then in two weeks we'll finish the teachings of Jesus, and the remainder of Matthew's Gospel will be an account of the 
the Last Supper, the arrest, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. So these last final words in public are significant. And as we've seen in the past few weeks, as he speaks about uh, the end of Jerusalem and the end of the age and the return of Christ and what he desires of his people until his return. We see now this parable. I'll be reading Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Hear now the word of the Lord. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I had scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what is my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. A number of years ago, there was a, a kids' movie, an animated movie, came out called Wally. Wally, uh, if you haven't seen it, that's how Wally says his name. Wally is a robot, and he exists in this uh, this future, hundreds of years from now, where where Earth has become uninhabitable to human life because of pollution and air quality and resources and things like that. And so humanity has left Earth and taken to the stars to wait until the day when they can return to a replenished Earth. And Wally is a, a, uh, a robot that has been left. There are many robots like Wally, but he seems to be the last one left. And Wally is basically a trash compactor on wheels. His job is to go around and collect trash and stuff it inside the container in his chest and compress it into these little cubes and then just stack the cubes up neatly. And there's a lot of mess that's been left behind on Earth, and so Wally just spends all his days for hundreds of years rolling around the wastelands, just gathering trash, compacting it, stacking it. And as the camera zooms out, you see he's built entire cityscapes, skyscrapers, mountains out of these little cubes of trash. He has, for hundreds of years, been relentlessly faithful, awaiting the return of those who gave him this task. 
What does it take to be that faithful? Well, in Wally's case, it was easy. He was a robot with a program he could not do otherwise. But it's a question we need to ask because of what Jesus has been teaching in Matthew. In these last chapters, we've seen that at the return of Christ, He's going to reward those who were ready when He returns, whether He returns sooner or later than expected. And what He expects of us, what He requires of us, is that while we wait for Him, we are faithful. What does it take to be faithful? In this parable, we get some idea of what it looks like to be faithful. How are we faithful servants? The first thing we see and need to remember in order to be faithful is that we receive blessings as responsibilities. To be faithful, you have to receive blessings as responsibilities. In verse 14, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. That phrase is so important. Entrusted them with his property. That's the Bible's view on everything you have. As we just sang a moment ago from Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, it's His. And so Paul asked the question of the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? And then he goes on and elaborates, if if you've received everything you have, why are you acting like somehow you came up with this? Everything you have. We're not just talking about money. Yes, money is included, but we're talking about everything. We're talking about your time. We're talking about your experiences. We're talking about your education. We're talking about the opportunities that you've had. We're talking about your very ability to think. We're talking about the skills, the specialized skills you have, the spiritual gifts you have. Everything is given to you by God. And speaking of the spiritual gifts, Paul later says in 1 Corinthians 12, Now, there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Whatever you're enabled to do, you are enabled to do by God's Spirit. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. The Spirit gifts you abilities as He determines suitable. Why? To use for others. Note that that last thought. The Spirit of God blesses us differently, apportions to each one individually as He wills. Uh, it's the, not just in different ways, we're not just given different kinds of gifts, but different amounts. Some have greater capabilities than others. Some have greater resources than others. It's the same idea that we see in the parable in verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. These servants knew that what they had been given was not theirs, but it belonged to their master. And therefore, it wasn't up to them to use it however they wanted. It was a blessing, a significant blessing, and I don't want you to miss that. Just because we don't use talents today, talents were a significant sum of money. And five talents would be in the neighborhood of millions of dollars. So this is not a small investment here. It's a significant blessing, but that blessing has a purpose. It's a responsibility. 
The first two servants recognized that, and they put the blessing to work in verses 16 and 17. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. The point is that the master expects that what he gives them is not given with the goal or the intention of making them happy, peaceful, satisfied, or comfortable. The blessing that he has given them is enough money to do all those things and more, but that's not why it was given to them. It was given as a responsibility. We, in in our culture, in our day, in America, and sadly in many churches even, have been too often taught and too often encouraged to pursue blessings from God as a means, as an end in themselves. As if we were made to just receive, receive, receive. Fill me up, Lord. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Give, give, give. That's not why God blesses. I speak to Florida people. As a Florida man, to Florida people, if you have a yard with grass in it, we're entering in the dry season now. You want to keep your grass green-ish. Which would you rather have? A hose that sprays water all over the yard or one little plastic kiddie pool filled with water? What's going to happen to that kiddie pool filled with water? It's going to collect a lot of water, right? That rain's going to fall and just fill, and then it's going to start to turn green, and then the frogs are going to multiply, and it's going to start to look weird. And then when you, when you finally dump it out, what's underneath? But a big brown spot of dead grass. Okay, is that going to keep your yard green or a hose that takes the same water and, and displays it and spreads it? What's going to keep your water green? I'm sorry, your grass green. We don't want green water. <laughs> Likewise with us. God does not pour out our blessings to us and we are not to be like a, like a tub that's supposed to just catch and fill and fill and get bigger and bigger and fuller and fuller of blessings. We are to be like the hose that spreads it out. This was the very intention of God from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 12, as God is first encountering Abram and blessing him, he says, I will bless you and make your name great. And if it were to stop there, that's one thing. That's what we want. Bless me, Lord, make me great. But God says, no, Abram, I have a purpose for that. I'm going to bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Whatever I give you has a purpose, a goal in mind, that that all the families of earth will be blessed through you. The people of God took this to heart, and even in their worship, in Psalm 67, we see them singing, May God be gracious to us, and bless us, and make His face to shine upon us. And too often, that's where the mentality stops. God bless us, shine your face on us, bless us, God. Why? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. God gives blessings for a reason, so any blessing from God is a responsibility. It is something to be used to make His name great. God has blessed you. Maybe more than some, maybe less than others, but if you are alive and breathing today, you are blessed. If you have enough food to eat and a little more, you are blessed If you have not just a bed but a home, you are blessed. If you have clothes enough for days at a time or even weeks, you are blessed. And I know that many of you are blessed abundantly more than that. Why has God blessed you? He has blessed you to be a blessing to others. That blessing is a responsibility to be used for the building of His kingdom. Those gifts He's given you, your education, 
your comfortable income, your life experiences, the, the hardship that made you wise, the pain in your life that made you compassionate, the ability to pray powerfully, to give joyfully, to serve selflessly, whatever, whatever He has given you. It is given not to bring you praise or comfort. It is given by God as a responsibility to be used for Him. The Master has gone away, but He's trusted us to take what He has given and put it to work until He gets back. And when He gets back, He will ask us what we have done with what He gave us. So the first thing that we need to know to be a faithful servant is that we receive blessings as responsibilities. The next thing we need to do is count faithfulness as success. Count faithfulness as success. In the story, the master returns, and in verse 19, he demands an accounting. After a long time, the master... Note that, after a long time. If you've ever heard anybody say, well, Jesus never thought he was going to be gone. The disciples never thought Jesus was going to be gone for thousands of years. Nonsense. Even in these few parables that we've looked at this week and last week, Jesus made a point of telling stories where the master has gone a long time. And because of that delay... Their faithfulness is tested and tried. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He hadn't told them what he expected in return. He hadn't said, you know, here's five talents. When I come back, I expect at least six. No, he just said, take this and do what you will with it, and we'll settle accounts when I get back. The first two come and report on what they'd done in verse 20 and 22. He who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents? Look, I've made five more. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you you delivered to me two talents, and here, I I made two talents more. They both put the money to work, whether trading, investing, whatever it was, and they were able to double, double what they'd been given. Too bad they didn't invest in Bitcoin, though. They could have just... Here's 5,000 more. No, uh, what's interesting to me, though, is how the master responds to the two of them. Uh, first in verse 21, he responds to the first servant, the one who had earned five. And here's, listen to what he says. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But now listen to how he responds to the second one, the one who only got two. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see the difference in the response? I hope not, because there is no difference. It's this exact same. English, Greek, whatever. It's the exact same word for word, and that's amazing. Because the one who had earned thousands, maybe even millions of dollars more, received the exact same praise as the one who had earned not as much. Now, what do we get from that? The reason for that is that the measure of success in God's eyes is not what we measure success by. In God's accounting, it's not the numbers or the results, but whether or not we've been faithful. That's what He's looking for. Have you been faithful with what I gave you? Jesus makes a similar observation in Luke 21. At the temple, He looks up and sees rich people putting their gifts into the offering box. And then He sees a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he says to his disciples, I tell you, this widow put in more than anybody else. For all, they all contributed out of their abundance. What they gave didn't even put a dent in anything. It, it didn't hurt. 
But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. It wasn't the amount that mattered. It was the faithfulness of the woman. Similarly, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, in speaking of, of offerings and giving, Paul says that if the readiness is there, then the offering, however much you bring, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. In other words, God, God's not looking and saying, well, I'm really not pleased unless we're at least in the triple digits when you write a check. Okay, That's it, not how it works. That's not how God accounts faithfulness. And that is such good news. Because if you, I mean, let me ask you, have you ever felt insecure or insignificant or less important in the body of Christ? Because you're measuring yourself against someone whom God has gifted differently than you. And you're, you're thinking, well, I can't give as much money as her. I can't teach like she does. I'm not as outgoing as he is. I don't have the same skills this person does. And you start to wonder, what, what use could God's kingdom have for you if you can't contribute at the same level as other people? You can't do anything to match what others are doing because they're doing it much better or to a much greater degree than you're able to. And I almost don't need to mention, but I will anyway, the opposite danger of, of those who do have much to give. Looking down on others, comparing ourselves to others whom God has not gifted in the same way, and judging and feeling special, feeling important, feeling like we deserve special treatment and special privilege and special attention because look what we can do. Look how God has gifted us. Does God judge us that way? Does God measure our obedience in dollars and hours and souls converted and lessons taught? Is the one who accomplishes more, the one who does more, gives more, somehow more special in God's eyes and more praiseworthy? Absolutely not. What God looks for, what He wants, and what He rewards is faithfulness. Faithfulness means doing a good job with what God has given even if it's not a lot. Kids, if you're filling out your sheets, that's, that's one of your questions there. Faithfulness means doing a good job with what God has given, even if it's not a lot. Did you do the job that He asked you to do with the resources He gave you to do it? If you have been faithful, well done. You know, many of you know that, well, I guess it's no secret, I'm a musician, that's one thing I do. But the, that's not my main instrument. My instrument that I, that I went to school for and studied and was educated on and that I specialized in was timpani. I'm an orchestral percussionist. And uh, timpani in the orchestra, those are the big kettle drums in the back. There are entire songs where the timpani might have just two notes the whole time. And we sit and we wait and we count. And we listen to the violins just sawing away at like, you know, 800 notes a second. And, and we, you know, the trumpets blasting and all the other instruments just playing and playing. And we're just waiting. And then our time comes, boom, boom. Yes, nailed it. You know, that, that's what it's like to be a timpani player. But let me, let me tell you what else goes on in your mind if you're in a position like that in an orchestra. Because you start to think, man... I don't play as much as they do. There's not as many notes for me to play as there are for them to play. Maybe I should take the, uh, the cello music and put the cello music over here and start... You know, no. Okay, nobody wants to hear that. Okay, there's a reason, Timpani. Only have a few notes. Because the beauty 
of the music and the quality of the performance is not measured by how many notes you play or how loud you are or or whether you're featured in the song or not. The beauty comes from each instrument playing its part, doing well with what it's been given. And when a timpani plays the notes that it's given and the cello plays the notes that it's been given and the piccolo plays the notes that it's been given, it's beautiful. That's what God's looking for. Have you been faithful with what you've been given? This is why the third servant, who we haven't really looked at yet, the third servant is condemned. Because instead of investing and using what he's given so that he has something to offer, he's not faithful. Instead, in verse 18, he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid the master's money. And how was that action judged? Now, now bear in mind, he didn't lose anything, technically speaking. He brought back the same amount of money that he had been given. He lost nothing. But he did nothing with the blessing. He was not faithful to do what the master intended for him to do with what he'd been given. So in verse 27, the condemnation is, You ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. The point here is that success as a Christian, faithfulness as a servant of God, is not simply a matter of getting across the finish line without messing up. You know, if I can just insulate myself from from risk and from the world, and, and, and live in my little holy, holy huddle, my little, like, I'm just going to be safe, and I'm not going to try, and I'm not going to do, I'm just going to make sure that I don't do anything bad, and God will be okay with that. Is that faithfulness? It is not, because God has given you much, and He expects and demands and requires that you are faithful with what you've been given. If you've been given a lot, He expects a lot. If you've been given a little, He doesn't expect as much. But He measures success not by how much you produce, but whether or not you've been faithful with whatever He gave you. Did you take what He gave and put it to work, not for yourself, but for the one who gave it? So we're to receive blessings as responsibilities. We are to count, count faithfulness as success. And lastly, We are to seek joy as your goal. Seek joy as your goal. Let's look at that third servant again and the excuse that he gave to understand this. Beginning in verse 25, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. I lost nothing. Exactly what you gave me, I give it back to you. What is his goal? What is he working for there? He says, look, I knew that you reap what you didn't sow and and gather what you didn't plant. In other words, if I had put this money to work and I had done the work and I did it and I worked and got a return on this investment, you're just going to take it from me? You didn't plant that seed and you're going to gather it? You're going to reap what you didn't sow? I'm going to spend my time and waste my time and you're going to take the investment from me. And even worse, I risk losing money, in which case you will come after me for the money that I lost. So here, I'm giving you back exactly what you gave me. I lost nothing. Hope you're happy with that. He's not happy. This man is afraid because what is he living for? 
What is his goal? What is his priority? He's trying to protect himself. He's trying to stay safe and protect his own interests. His goal, his highest good is himself. And the irony of how his story ends. The gift that he had is taken from him and given to the one who was most faithful. He himself is cast out. He's rejected. It's a vivid example of what Jesus said in Mark 8, 35. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. If you live your life trying to protect your interests, support your own agenda, benefit yourself, work, save, span, span, spend, plan just for yourself, you will lose everything in the end. But the faithful servants, what was their goal? Their goal was the master's pleasure. They wanted the master to be happy with what they'd done. They know what he's asked of them, and they devote their time and their effort to doing it. And the reward for them, both of them the same, we see in verse 21, he says, enter into the joy of your master. This, for some of you, needs to be a shift in how you think of God and how you think of heaven. If you picture God as a disinterested deity, merely watching your life with a checklist to make sure you're doing everything right and following the rules, and if you have succeeded in that, he stands aside, yes, okay, you can come into my heaven, come on, good job, you did it. Or maybe as the excited but detached game show host, who is, is there and is happy for you to win this prize, but I'm just a part of the process. I, you know, go enjoy your prize. You know, the game show host isn't going to be there when you're on your trip to Europe or whatever it is you win on the game show. If that's kind of how you're picturing God as a disinterested or detached God who somehow is the, uh, the means by which you reach your true happiness, then that is not the God of Scripture. You need to meditate on this phrase here. Enter into the joy of your master. Heaven is a place of joy. I know you're with me on that. But the source of our joy in heaven is not that we get all the food we want and it has no effect on our waistline. We are reunited with the people that we care about. We have nothing to fear and no pain. I mean, whether or not those things are true, those are not the source of heaven's joy. The joy of heaven is the joy, the happiness that God Himself experiences and overflows to us. The joy and the delight and the happiness of heaven that we will experience is the overflowing happiness of God Himself. You heard in our call to worship this morning that God delights in our songs of praise. Well, in Zephaniah 3, we see that God Himself sings in joy. As Scripture says, He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God is a loud and happy singer, and the subject of His song is you. He rejoices over you. God is a happy God, and He calls you to share in that happiness, not just in eternity, but today. Today. He shares his joy with you today. Jesus, as he's, uh, in his last words to his disciples in John 15, tells them, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you 
and your joy may be full. Obedience is not meant to be something we do because we fear punishment and we fear judgment. Obedience to God's command is the path of joy. It's how we share and experience the joy of Jesus. What does it look like to live a happy, fulfilled, joyful life? God has told you. He has given you His commandments and said, walk in them. If you walk in these, you abide with me and you experience my joy. So how are we faithful servants? We receive blessings as responsibilities. We count faithfulness as success and we pursue joy as our reward. But how do we do that in real life? How do we pursue joy as our reward? Well, to begin with, I would challenge you to examine your own heart. What reward are you currently pursuing? What what is the goal that you're working towards? Now, I, I don't expect that Many of you are, are like the, first, uh, the third servant who's just kind of burying things in the ground and living for yourself, at least not consciously. But, but think about this. What, what is it that you're working towards in all that you do? Is it stability and security? Is it the good opinion and the respect of a certain group of people? Popularity, status, pleasure? What is it that you're willing to make sacrifices for? What is it that gives you a picture of success? What is it that you tell yourself, if I just had this, I would be happy. If I just had a a stable family life, if I just had a secure retirement, if I just had this, all would be well. The bad news is that all of human history says you're wrong. Because even those who achieve those things do not find the lasting happiness they thought they would. Moreover, the wisdom of God's word confirms it. It will never, whatever it is, it will never truly satisfy because God has placed eternity on your heart and nothing less than eternal joy will satisfy that. Temporary joys will not. So if you want to pursue joy as your reward, you must have the joy that will last forever. And only God has that. And He invites you to share in that by walking in His ways. That is the only goal That is the only reward worth pursuing. So as we wrap up, I want to point out that there is a way in which God is not like the master of the parable. Because God is never really absent. You know, in this parable, the master goes away and lets the servants work and figure things out on their own, and and it's kind of up to them to be faithful. But, But we don't find ourselves in that situation. It may feel like Because yes, Jesus is bodily away from us and has been for a long time and and we are awaiting and looking forward to his return. But before he left, he promised us that he would give us a helper to be with us, the Holy Spirit. And so as we read in Galatians 2 and, and will be the theme of our song in a moment, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yet not Yet not I but through Christ in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You are called to fulfill the responsibility that comes with your blessings. You are called to be faithful 
with however much or however little, little God has given you. You are called to pursue God's joy and not your own pleasure. But the good news of the gospel is that you can indeed do all this, not because you are strong enough, not because you're smart enough, not because you're a part of the church that has it all figured out, not because you have good moral character. You can do all of this because Jesus gave his life for you, rose again in victory over the sin and forces of evil that would hold you back, and now has given his spirit of power to you. Not maybe given it to you, but promised that you have his spirit, and that spirit makes you able to live the faithful life that he requires. That's your assurance. Not I, but Christ in me, causing me to walk this path of faithfulness that leads to joy. So whatever circumstances you are faced with, whether difficult or easy, whether tremendous opportunity or obscurity, whatever you are faced with, no matter how challenging or confusing or overwhelming, there is no room for us to say, I can't do it. I can't be faithful in this situation. That's not an option given to the people of God because it's not you. If God has willed it, His Spirit is able to do it, and you have His Spirit. That's the promise of the gospel. And so in a, in a few minutes after we sing, you're going to hear the benediction, but I want to give you a sneak peek of the benediction, the good word that we are given as we go forth. From 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul's prayer for the people of God is this, May the God of peace Himself sanctify, make you holy completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he returns, he will find no fault in you. Why? Because he who calls you is faithful. Not because you are faithful. He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Yet not I, but Christ in me. That is your assurance. When faced with hard choices, when faced with difficult days, when faced with overwhelming obligations, your assurance and your confidence comes from the gospel that whatever God has placed before you, He has also given you the power to do it, to be faithful in it. That is good news, brothers and sisters. Not that you might be faithful, but God has guaranteed you will be faithful because He is faithful. Let us prepare our hearts to live that out in joy. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your promises to us that you have not given us responsibility and then left us to sort it out on our own in our failed efforts and in our weak flesh. You've given us a responsibility and have given us your spirit which fulfills that responsibility, which works in us to will and to act according to your good purposes. And so now, according to those promises, we know that we have everything we need, everything we need for life and for godliness, yet not because we are good, not because we are strong, not because we are wise, but because he who called us is faithful. He will do it. We thank you for that promise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now please stand as we respond in our worship.
is Jesus my benediction of the Lord. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.